Well, please do take a seat. Good evening. It's great to see you all again. This is possibly my last time um, to make this joke, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. It's time for us to have a look at uh, Habakkuk. Sorry, I know. It's my last opportunity. I had to do it. Um, let's, let's pray before we actually do um, get stuck into this passage. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, let me meet you in your word. Please, Father God, shine your spirit into our hearts that we might have ears to hear what you're saying through your prophet Habakkuk. Please, Lord, let us meet the Lord Jesus as we read these words together. Please, would your word change us? Would it make us more like Christ? And would it encourage us to rejoice always? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to imagine that you and I were on an aeroplane together. We're on our way on a long-haul flight, possibly somewhere nice and, uh, nice and sunny. We're going to Barbados. We're going to, Andy said we should go to Fiji. We're going to go to Fiji. We'll go somewhere nice like that. And we're about halfway through the flight. Okay. We're enjoying our in-flight meals we're watching the nice the film that's on there. We're enjoying the crack together, you know, as it always would be when you're sitting next to me. And then there's a bit of turbulence on the plane. Okay, it's a bit of a bumpy ride. There's a, a little period of, oh, this is really, really rough going. I've never really been involved in that much turbulence. I don't know if anyone here has. It's probably not that nice. And after it sort of smooths out again... I turn and say to you, look, I think I've had enough. I don't want to, to stay on the plane anymore. I've had, a, I've had enough of this flight. I'm, I'm getting off. I'm afraid. I don't think we're going to make it anymore. I think the plane's going to fall apart. I don't think the captain can be trusted. I'm, I'm getting off. So I head over to the door, and I start trying to open the door, because I say I'm going to get out of the plane. And all the cabin crew... They're looking at each other thinking, what are we going to do? There's this maniac Irishman trying to get out of the plane. And so they look at you and they say, you know him. Why don't you go and calm him down? You go and get him back in his chair. You go and get him to sit down and and be quiet. Well, what do you do? How are you going to get me back into my chair? Well, you've got a choice, don't you? First thing you could do is you could remind me of of how far we've come. You can say, Ross, we've been on this plane for eight hours, right? We've got another eight to go, you know, but we've, been, we've come so far. Why would you get out now? You've come so far. Don't stop now. It's only another eight to go. Or you could, you could arrange for me to talk to the pilot. You could say, Ross, why don't you go and have a word? We'll get you into the cockpit and uh, you can talk to the pilot and he can put your, your fears at ease. He could tell you about how many times he's flown this route. He'd say he's a very experienced pilot. You could trust this guy. Or you could say, Ross, just think about what it's going to be like when you and I are lying on a beach in Fiji, just sipping pina coladas or whatever the local drink is in Fiji. I've never been. And it's going to be amazing. I've paid for all-inclusive at the resort, so don't worry about that. It's going to be really nice. Okay, Just look forward to being in Fiji, and the rest of the flight will just go like that. Well, those three things, encouraging me to remember, encouraging me to talk to the person in charge, encouraging me to look forward, 
That's exactly what Habakkuk's doing in this passage, friends. He encourages himself and he encourages his people to keep rejoicing in the Lord in spite of their pain. You see, Habakkuk knows that Babylon's coming to destroy them. He knows that they're, they're going through and there will be a time of turbulence for them. And he's accepted that as part of God's sovereign rule over his people. But here he shows us how to keep going in the face of that pain. In fact, even more than that, he shows us how to rejoice through it. The pain is real. The loss is real. But what we'll see in this passage is that even though God's people aren't exempt from that pain, that we can rejoice through it. We can rejoice through it. That's a timely message for us, isn't it? Even as we've heard in the news this week, even the things that are going on in our own lives, either we're currently experiencing pain or or trial or suffering, or we will have done in the past, or we will do in the future. We We need to know what we believe about these things so that when the turbulence comes, that we don't jump out of the plane. That we don't abandon Christ when the turbulence comes. This is a timely message for us. Perhaps it is for you that you're going through an illness at the moment. And it's, it's really getting you down. And it's, you've been going through it for a long time. And it's really drawn out and painful. Or maybe for you it's that your career looks, looks uncertain. Or that the office just feels like a terrible place to be. You just don't can't face going through those doors again for another week of the same. Perhaps you're in the the throes of depression and you don't feel like you're ever going to come out the other side. You feel surrounded by darkness all the time. Or maybe that for you that it's you're lonely even when you're in a, a crowded room like this and when you're amongst friends you feel there's no one really there for me. Perhaps you're seriously struggling with sin and feel trapped by it. I can't tell anyone about this. What would they think at church? Perhaps you feel trapped by sin. Hard times will come. And if we're not clear on what we believe about pain and about suffering, well, we're going to give up on Christ. But the good news is that even though we're not exempt from this pain and from this suffering, that as God's people we can rejoice through it. There are three things that we're going to see um, today from this passage. You'll see on your little pink handouts, and um, I'll give you some idea of where we're going over the next few minutes. Three things we'll see. First, prayer is essential. Then remembering is vital. And praise is inevitable. Prayer is essential. Um, Habakkuk has been through the mill. In fact, he's, he's going through the mill, and he knows that there's more milling to come. In, in chapter 1, he, he wrestles with God because he doesn't understand why God is allowing all these things to happen to his people. And uh, then he's perplexed by God's decision to send this wicked, unrighteous nation, Babylon, um, as punishment for them, why they're going to be destroyed and taken away into exile. And he feels like God is ignoring him in spite of his constant crying out for God. But in chapter 3... He emerges. This is not another complaint from Habakkuk. 
He's heard from God. In fact, now he's more dependent upon God. He's learnt that even when times are hard, especially when times are hard, that prayer is essential. Look at verse 1 with me. Verse 1 of chapter 3. It's on page 942 if you need to open up again and join us. It says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. That it's a prayer and it's, it's on Shigianoth tells us this, this is a psalm of lament. Habakkuk has written a psalm. Because those, those words, prayer and Shigianoth, are used in the psalms. That means that this, what we're going to read tonight... It's both personal for Habakkuk and his situation, but it's also universal for God's people. This psalm was meant to be sung by God's people as they went through the turbulence, as they went through their time in exile, as the the Babylonians came and destroyed and captured and took them away. This was meant to be sung to encourage them to to keep going, to cry out to God, to keep going. In verse 2, we'll find out what Habakkuk's uh, asking. Look at verse 2 with me. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, if it were me, I think I would be saying, God, please take this away from me. Please don't send the Babylonians to destroy me. Please don't make me go through this turbulence. Please don't bring this pain upon me. Why are you doing this? But... That's not what Habakkuk does, is it? Habakkuk knows that this wrath, that it's deserved, it's coming. It's not going to change. This is God's sovereign will that the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to destroy and they're going to take away. No, he asks, not remove your wrath, but in the midst of wrath, remember mercy. Essentially, Habakkuk is saying, God, I know that this is going to happen, but please don't destroy your people completely. Please have mercy on your people. Please, please bring a people back into the land after you've brought your wrath on it. He wants God to keep for himself a people, not to destroy them entirely. He knows that without God, there's no hope that God's people will continue to exist and have faith in him. Habakkuk knows that prayer is essential for the life of God's people in his time and throughout history and even today. There's no hope of rejoicing in in the Lord through pain without prayer. There's no hope in persevering in the Lord without prayer, without total dependence on God. And prayer is our ultimate expression of that. Now, some of you saw earlier, and you, you, you know me, so you know that I've got a little boy uh, whose name's Ben. I've got two, actually. The other one's called Alex, but he's much smaller. Ben likes to run about and, uh, and gets all into all sorts of uh, mischief, and he's learning to talk recently. He's getting more and more words every day. He's a real delight, you know. But when Ben he's, gets hurt, or when he needs something, when he wants something, he doesn't try and fix it himself. He says, Daddy! Daddy! Dad! Come and, come and get this for me! He doesn't say that because he's not that articulate. He's only two. He says, he says, Dad! Me, me! And then points to some sweets or something like that. Or me! And then points at the fruit that he wants. Right? He chooses fruit over chocolate quite a lot. He's quite a good lad. 
right? Ben and Alex, my, my little baby Alex, he, he does the same thing, except he doesn't use any words. He, he doesn't cry out with words. He just cries. He just cries. He goes, ah, dad, I need milk. Or I'm tired. Or ah, change my nappy. He's, they're dependent upon me and upon my wife. And my sons are more honest than I am about this, right? They're more honest than I am. Because when they, when they need something, they don't try and do it themselves. Except Ben, when he thinks I'm not looking, he tries to go and get the sweets that he's not allowed. But he doesn't depend on himself for his meals. He'll say, Daddy, come and get this food for me because I can't make it myself. Or Dad, I need you to take me upstairs and put me to bed. He's completely dependent on me. Whereas actually when it's, when it's me, I'm sure this is the same for many of us, when it comes to God, I try and depend on myself. I try and say, actually, I can do this. You know, I can just work harder. I can outthink this problem. I can outwork this problem. I can fix this myself. I can, I can talk to my friends. I can talk to my family. I can sort this out. But actually... Prayer is essential. I need to be more like Ben. I need to be more like Alex. I need to be more dependent upon God. And God has provided a way for us to know him and to be known by him as he's removed our sin from us in Christ on the cross. He's made a way for us to pray to him. And he delights to hear our prayers. So as we, as we face pain and as we face suffering, let's pray more. Whenever pain comes, which it will, or maybe you're going through it at the minute. When, when we're diagnosed with cancer, when a dear friend rejects Christ, when a family member or a loved one dies, let's pray more. We can't do anything but cry out in total dependence on God, our Lord and Heavenly Father. Christ says in the Gospels, and I think it was mentioned earlier, perhaps in one of our songs, Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The rest is waiting. The burden can be passed on. We just need to to throw ourselves on God, to cast our burdens on him, to, to take the rest that's on offer. So let's pray more. As we're going through this pain, let's pray more. God, let's rely on God more. Now this, this past few weeks, I've had to do this. Uh, my wife, Emma, was diagnosed with pancreatitis. She had an acute attack at the beginning of May, which meant that she had to be admitted to hospital for about a week's time, which meant that I was left looking after the two little boys that I was telling you about earlier. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a hard time. It was a really hard time because I was looking after them. I was trying to do my work here. I was trying to keep myself alive, trying to keep the house tidy. And, and all and clean, and the boys needed to be clean and fed and bathed and well rested. It was a really hard time. There were nights when I, you know, Alex had been, my youngest had been crying for an hour, and I needed to get up in two hours because Ben always gets up at half five. And, you know, I would just sit in the room and just cry while Alex was crying. It was a really hard time. I had, and during that time, I had to learn to depend on God more. I had to pray more. And actually, it's been a really good time. Because I've had to do that. 
I've been rejoicing through this time because God has been hearing my prayers and answering them primarily through a lot of you coming and helping us out by looking after Ben and looking after Alex and uh, giving us food and washing and, and ironing. Actually, Gussie ironed this shirt that I'm wearing this evening. So well done, Gussie. You've been looking after me. God has been looking after me through you. I've been depending on, on God and rejoicing through this time because I've been able to pray to the Lord. Prayer is essential if we're to rejoice um, through pain. Habakkuk has such confidence in the Lord. He speaks to him, he prays to him because he knows what God has done. Do you see that in verse 2? Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord Yahweh, covenant God. Renew them in our day and our time, make them known. See, Habakkuk remembers what God has done. This is if we're on the flight and I'm trying desperately to get out the door, you're saying to me, Ross, think of how far we've come, think of what's gone before. The pilot hasn't crashed yet. He's doing a really good job. This is this is this. Okay, remembering what God has done in the past. Remembering is vital if we're to be rejoicing through pain. We're going to look through these verses. And, and these, from verse 3 to 15, if I was writing this psalm, I'd like, I would like it to be in order. Right? I would have liked it to be a bit more chronological. So I probably would have started with creation. And then I would have... Uh, might have talked about sin, I would have talked about God's promises, and then uh, possibly the exodus from Egypt, and the giving of the law in Sinai, and the conquest of the land, and the, the building of the kingdom, and all of these things. And I would have done it in nicely and neatly in chronological order. But that's not what Habakkuk's done. Um, it's more like he's gotten all of those different elements, and put them in a big blender, and blended them up, and made us a nice smoothie to drink, to remind us of of God and how great God is. Sometimes, um, or a, a while ago, I used to really like going to the gym, right? And I don't really do it anymore, as you, you can probably tell. But um, I used to like going to the gym. And some of the gyms would have, uh, you know, they've got like a, a coffee bar at the gym where they sell nice pastries. Like completely counterintuitive to going to the gym. But they also do these nice smoothies. These, and they promise to be powerful. These protein par smoothies. Drink this, you know, Get big and strong. But actually, this is a, a par smoothie of God's par. It helps us to remember what God has done. It doesn't make us, you know, big and, and buff, you know, as I once aspired to be. It helps us to remember what God has done. And it's got all those different elements in there. All the different fruits, if you like. The creation. The exodus. The conquest. And let's look through these verses, because it's great. Look at verse 3. God came from Timan, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. This is God revealing himself to his people in the Sinai mountains. Look at verse 5. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. God, before this, God has plagued Egypt. He sent the ten plagues on Egypt to show his power over them and to rescue his people. Look at verse 6. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. 
I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. The nations are in awe of God. The whole earth shakes at God's action. It trembles before this eternal God. Look at verse 8. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by and the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. There are allusions to creation. God splits the earth with the rivers. The flood. God covering the surface of the earth. This cataclysmic event where he wipes out all life apart from those whom he has chosen to save. And the exodus. God fighting against his enemies and crushing um, the, the chariots of Pharaoh when the, the walls of water which he'd caused to stand up collapse in on them as he saves his people. This is a, an image of God, the warrior, with his bow fighting against creation, fighting against his enemies and creation praising him in response. His bow, has, has, he's hung that up now in the sky for us to see so we can remember his promises. Look at verse 11. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. When God's people were were conquering the land, when they were coming into Canaan, the promised land, God caused the sun to stand still in the sky overhead so that Joshua and his people could have the victory over God's enemies. Look at verse 12. In wrath you strode the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. God, when his people were conquering the land, when all the peoples in there were falling at the edge of their sword, that was God threshing the nations for their sin. For the, in his wrath and his anger, he was pushing them out of the land because of their sin. Just like now in Habakkuk, he's, he's pushing his people out of the land because of their sin. Look at verse 13. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the head of the leader of the land of the wicked. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. God gives King David the victory over his enemies. Some of us will know, or you'll remember if you've read the stories, that King David came out to fight against God's, the enemies of God's people, the Philistines. And this great warrior, Goliath, comes out, taunting them and gloating to them, saying, no one can come out and face me. Who's, we're going to crush you. We're going to devour you. Let, who, let whoever it is come out and face me. And King David goes out in the power of the Lord and crushes his head. God gives his, saves his anointed one, King David, He crushed the leader of the land of the wicked. He crushed those who gloated as though they were about to devour. Look at verse 15. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. There's another allusion to the Exodus. God saving his people out of slavery and bringing them in to his promised land. 
What an utterly amazing God to remember. What a majestic, awe-inspiring God that we serve, that we can remember. See, Habakkuk remembers God defeating all of his enemies and God's mighty power in doing that in anticipation of God doing it again. This is how he's going to continue to rejoice through his pain because he remembers. Remembering is vital. He remembers what God has done because he anticipates the destruction of Babylon. And eventually it is destroyed. It's destroyed in in 539 BC as God threshes the nations again as the Medo-Persians rise up and destroy Babylon. And friends, that's the same for us. We can remember what God has done in anticipation of God doing it again. God has defeated his enemies. He's defeated sin. He's defeated Satan. He's defeated death. Look at verse 13. You came out to deliver your people, to save your people, To save your anointed one, you crushed the head of the leader of the land of wickedness. God saved his anointed one, Jesus. Satan's head is crushed and sin is disarmed as Christ dies on the cross. In verse 14, with his own spear you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as they were about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. Well, it was Christ who was pierced with the spear. It was was over Christ that God's enemies gloated and rejoiced, saying, come down, save yourself if you can. As Christ was nailed to the cross and as Christ was pierced with the spear. Well, it actually turned out for their defeat. They 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 were defeated themselves as they rejoiced over Christ's defeat. Actually, he won the victory. God's victory has been won over, over sin and death and over Satan because Christ rose from the dead. As, he, as the, the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty. Christ was not there. Death has been defeated. God's victory has been won. And it will be won. We can remember what God has done in Christ in anticipation of him doing it again. God's victory will be won when Christ comes again. When Christ returns to finally crush the head of the leader of the land of the wicked. As Satan is bound and destroyed. As death finally is ruled away. As sin is no more. As judgment is poured out. God's victory will be won when Christ comes to thresh the nations. This passage points us forward to when Jesus comes back. So remembering all of those things, we can rejoice as we wait, as, as we have, see what's going on in front of us, we hear in the news these awful things, we experience things in our own lives. We can look forward to Christ's return and gathering us to himself to be with him forever. Let's remember more, friends. Let's remember when we're suffering what God has done. When we feel trapped by sin, let's remember that Christ has won the victory over it. That we are no longer slaves to sin. When we're battling idols, remember how glorious our God is in comparison with them. When we feel crushed by depression, let's remember that Christ swept blood in the garden for us. 
when someone we know love, when someone we know or love dies. Let's remember that death has no sting, that Christ has risen from the dead and the hope that is ours in Jesus. When we're struggling with, with, with disease, let's remember that, that Jesus is the one who could heal the sick and that Jesus says that one day there will be no more disease, there will be no more pestilence and illness, there will be no more cancer, there will be no more heart disease, there will be no more mental illness. None of these things will exist anymore when Christ returns. When our relationships are hard or when we've been hurt, let's remember that God in his great mercy forgave us, reconciled us to himself so that we can forgive and be reconciled to others. When we see trouble looming on the horizon, when we see turbulence coming, let's remember that Christ is in control of our future. That in him our future is secure. No matter what happens now, no matter what we experience now, our future is certain. It is secure. Let's remember more. Now because Habakkuk prays more and because he remembers more, he can, he can rejoice. In fact, in, in verse 16 to 19, you will find that actually rejoicing is the only thing he can do now that he's done these things. He's prayed and he's remembered what God has done. Let's look, um, look at verse 16 together. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Let's just take a moment there to realize that the pain that Habakkuk is experiencing is real. It is really painful. His pain is painful. He's still terrified of what is to come because I don't want you to hear me um, say, speaking tonight and I don't want you to hear me saying that for Christians pain is not painful. We're not exempt from pain. We're not We're not going to have this charmed life where there's no more pain now. We will experience these things. And for Habakkuk, pain is painful. And for us, pain is painful. There are Christians and there are churches that teach that that now, if you become a Christian, that you won't experience these things. That now you'll just be healthy and that you'll have as much money as you want. And and that you'll just live this charmed life. And that pain is, is nothing because now you have the victory. It has no room in its theology for this, for pain and for suffering. And so when Christians who go to those churches hear, feel and experience pain and feel and experience disease and, and hurt and heartbreak, well, they think, oh, I mustn't have, they either think I mustn't have enough faith, which is, it traps them, or they think actually this Christian thing doesn't work. Not, I, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. Right? Churches like, like Joel Osteen, like Joyce Mayer, like Creflo Dollar, like all these guys, they have no room for this kind of pain. Right? They're not expecting this because they think that God's people are exempt from pain. But actually, we're not. Habakkuk heard, his heart pounded, his lips quivered, his legs trembled, decay crept into his bones. The pain is painful. And yet, 
at the rest of verse 16. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will be joyful in God my Savior. Even in the worst of times, when everything is falling apart around Habakkuk, he rejoices. It seems so, so counterintuitive, doesn't it? That surely he's, all this is happening to him. How can he rejoice? Well, he's, he prays. He knows that praying is essential. He knows that remembering is vital. He knows that praise is inevitable. He knows where he is going. He rejoices in God and what God has done and what God will do. Look at verse 19. He says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. He knows that God is the one with the strength to bring him onto the heights. You see, again, there's danger of you mishearing what I'm saying. That you might hear that, if, that me saying that actually if we pray more and if we remember more, well, that's all we need. That's all we need to do. We just need to pray lots and lots and lots and we just need to remember lots and lots and lots and then everything's going to be fine. It'll be grand. You'll be fine. Everything's going to be fine. You'll be rejoicing. But actually, it's God who gives us the strength to rejoice. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights, to go on to where he is, to be drawn in by him into heaven. We can rejoice more because of what God has done. We can rejoice when we go through the turbulence of life. We can rejoice when we have diseases. We can rejoice when our careers are falling apart. We can rejoice when our families are fractured. We can rejoice when, when depression descends on us. We can rejoice when we see pain and turbulence coming. We can rejoice in the Lord. Again, don't mishear what I'm saying. Rejoicing in the Lord through pain is not some some happy, clappy, be a Christian and everything will be okay kind of faith. It doesn't mean that Christians have to be perpetually happy all the time. But it's a deep joy. It is a deep rejoicing in the Lord, in his covenant promises, in his son Jesus, over what God has done for us. It is a deep joy, a deep rejoicing. Let's rejoice more through through pain, through suffering. So imagine we're back on the plane. You've reminded me of what has come before. You said, Ross, look how far we've come. I've had a word with the captain. I've talked to him about my, my fears. I said, the turbulence really scared me. I just think, I wanted to get out, but can you assure me that everything will be okay? And he says, yes. He helps me out. He, you know, maybe he gives me some nice cushions and stuff to keep me safe. And you've pointed me to what's coming ahead. You've said, Ross, we're going to Fiji. It's going to be amazing. 
It's all inclusive. The food's going to be great. I don't know what they eat in Fiji. Probably something really nice. The beaches are going to be amazing. You're going to get a great tan, even though you've got that pale Irish skin. It's going to be great. Well, what am I going to do then? Am I going to still try and get out of the plane? Well, no. I'm going to take my seat. I'll still feel scared. I'll still feel like, oh, is there going to be turbulence again? And maybe there will be. I'm still going to have felt the pain that I felt before. But actually, I'm going to enjoy the rest of my flight. Because I know how good it's been. I know what's coming. And I know that if I'm, if I'm worried, if I'm scared, I can go and talk to the captain. I know that it's not me getting to Fiji is not dependent upon me, but it's dependent on the captain, the one who's flying the plane. And friends, brothers and sisters, Christ is our captain. Christ is the one who's going to bring us safely home to himself. He's the one who's going to help us to keep going, to keep persevering, to keep rejoicing in the Lord, even though there are no figs on the vine, even though there are no cattle in the stalls, even though times are really hard and painful and you're experiencing what you feel like is the worst time of your life, you can have this deep joy in Christ. Because he's going to bring us through all that muck and that mire to glory with him. And all we have to do is is wait. While we do that, let's pray more. Let's remember more. Let's, Let's rejoice more. Let's pray. Father God in heaven... Life is hard. We, we are not exempt from pain and we don't presume to be. We are still groaning with all the, the pain and the suffering of this life. We're still struggling with sin. But Lord, we trust in you. Please, Father God, help us to continue to rejoice. Be our strength. Make, a, make our feet like the feet of the deer. Help us to go on to the high places, to rejoice in the faith through all our days until your son returns, until he comes back to bring us to be with him. Please, Lord, would he come soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.